0: Welcome. Welcome back to Jokerman. This week we're uh doing our second record of the twenty first century, of Bob in the twenty first. Mm-hmm. But really it's the it's the only one of all of the ones in the twenty first century that that's designated itself as as modern, as a true, as a modern album. That's because it's modern
1: times. <laughs> How long did it take you to come up with that?
0: Uh, I just came up with that. I don't know if you could tell, but um, that's that's how I was going to introduce this this record called Modern Times. I'm Evan. I'm Ian, and we're joined by a very special guest this week. Uh, it's it's Max Clark, but you probably know him under the moniker of Cutworms, or is it Cut Worms?
2: Uh, it's however you like, really. <laughs> I usually say Cutworms.
0: Cutworms, yeah. Yeah. One of the things about um, Cutworms is that it's it's very generous music. In some ways, twice the the value by being able to think of it as two different ways.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, twice the value. You cut that in half, and that's four times the value.
0: That's that's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or something. <laughs> Max, we met like a long time ago. Do you remember that at the Fourth yeah, of you July? Look
2: really, you look really familiar to me.
0: It was a 4th of July party uh, in, like, v- Woodland Hills uh, or something.
2: Yeah, there was, like, a fire... Well, it was the first time I saw one of those fire pits that have, like, gl- broken glass at the yeah. bottom. <laughs> right,
1: That's yeah. a
0: it's a classic suburban fire pit uh, style.
1: Yeah, it's very uh, Canejo Valley, very Wilburys-esque,
0: to be Well, actually, to. I should say it's a modern uh, suburban mm. fire pit style, mm-hmm. which, you know, just to bring you back to this record... Um, we had had this plan for a while Max, Um, but we, it's been, it's taken us a long time to catch up to finally get this happening. But I—I I w- I know that you like this record and, um, mm-hmm. we, you know, your music uh, is really great. I actually saw, you know, I also, I don't know if I saw you that night, but I saw you, there was like maybe the last, maybe the last show you played in Brooklyn. Um, at the,
2: yeah, I saw, yeah, you were at the, uh, I saw you outside of um the Sultan Room.
0: The Sultan right? Room, yeah. I was there with um yeah. with I don't know if, I was there with the, with Michael, um Diodario. Yeah. And um yeah, that was a great show. And your music I, I think is um I don't know, I, I I don't know if you get like told this a lot, but it it it's got like a real authentic like mid sixties folk feeling not necessarily like the the content of it, but at least the delivery it feels very true to like the uh primordial soup from which Bob Dylan was born, at least when you played acoustically that time
2: yeah well um thank you uh no i've i've um I do often get yeah that Sometimes it's put in less eloquent terms than that. (laughs) Like more, more, it's just people will say it just sounds old or it sounds like vintage or throwback or retro. Yeah. See,
0: I I think that what it is, is that it's, it's just genuinely of that uh, spirit is how I would, I would characterize it. And I think you do a great, a tremendous job. So I'm, it's honestly kind of shocking to me that you would like an album That is so modern. (laughs) That is so, you know, this album is so futuristic.
1: Yeah, if there's one thing we can say about modern times, it's that it sounds absolutely cutting edge in terms of the types of songs you encounter on it. It's
2: very modern.
1: Very, yeah, very 2006. It's very funny to me to think of this album coming out in the year 2006, like the same time as... Um, you know, uh, we were dead before the ship even sank or like feel in between feels and strawberry jam or something. It just, it feels like it's from another dimension. Like it, like completely outside of the, the 2006 zeitgeist. It came out like what, this was a neon Bible and sound of silver era. Right. Are you telling me that you're surprised that Bob Dylan wasn't
0: inspired by the indie rock revival of the early tw- 20, 2006 and sevens?
1: I mean, for so long we've been going through the past, and like you know, since we weren't alive for most of it, I have thought of Bob, you know, kind of just apart. Uh, Bob of Dylan, best the other coast, kind of you know, um, m- yeah, <laughs> <laughs> apart from the other kind of music scenes that were happening at the time. But now, now he's kind of converged with the era when like we were kind of conscious participants in what was happening, and uh, and it's just weird to see him, you know, kind of exist in our own day and age instead of reflecting back on it uh with, with hindsight.
0: That's true. Max, do you have like much of a history with this album, Modern Times? Um
2: I don't know. I guess when it came out, um shortly after it came out was the first time I saw him live um in Cleveland. He played at um I think it was like the Plain Dealer Amphitheater, which is a local cleveland newspaper there um and it's like this outdoor amphitheater like down by the river uh in downtown cleveland there's like uh there'd be like barges kind of like drifting by in the background wow very cool um and yeah that that was the first time i saw him in it um you know even at that time i was a i mean i was a huge fan already but you know, not ever seeing him live, you know I was uh I had to like prepare myself that I wasn't going to be seeing like the bob dylan of of my imagination right and, and like really lower my expectations a lot but like it i mean i I had been listening to that the modern times record, and he when he played live, he played a bunch of you know his old hits and stuff. A lot of some of them weren't, were more recognizable than others. I thought it was a good show all in all, but I actually enjoyed most the the songs he was playing off of that record, of which had just comes up. Yeah.
0: Well, that's, that's really interesting. And I, I think that kind of comes to, um, maybe just like a point more generally that we can make about this record without giving too much away, which is just that it feels, um, like Bob is having a lot of fun and is uh, really engaged. And um, I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Ian, before we like officially.
1: Well, we'll jump in in just a second, but I'm always curious. Anytime we have someone uh, who says, you know, uh, the the first time I saw Bob uh, such and such, I always try to find the actual show. Uh, uh, Max, would this have been July 14th, 2007? Mm, that sounds right. Plain Dealer Pavilion, Cleveland, Ohio. Yep. Yeah. There we go. That's incredible. That's a first really song. cool name uh, for a venue, by the way. Plain Dealer Pavilion. It's very, it's very Midwest. Uh, first song on the set list, Cats in the Well. That's just, that's a real, that's a real deep pull. I'm, I'm very wow. jealous that you got to see the under the Red Sky, classic "Cats in the Well" as your very first uh, live performance uh, by Bob. Can't
2: say that I really re- recall remember that. That's, that's, <laughs> that okay. one doesn't stick
1: in your memory.
0: It's the closer of the uh, album from 1990, "Under the Red Sky." Um, uh, the, the, Those
1: those famous lyrics: "The cats in the well, and the barn is full of bull. The cats in the well, and the barn is full of bull. The night is so long, and the table is oh so full." Those don't. Those don't leap out a show.
2: No, but I like I like what I hear though.
0: <laughs> you you like you like that? Yeah. <laughs> well, guess what? There's a whole song on a real a real record album.
2: I'm familiar with the record actually. I don't I haven't listened to that one extensively, but That's okay.
0: No
1: You're not missing out on much, although uh you know, there are a couple uh couple highlights on yeah. there that Born just, in Time. Uh, born in Time, yeah, title Maybe. track, two by two. About all the animals going in Noah's Ark, you gotta love it. But uh, we're not here to talk about under the red sky. We're here to talk about modern times. So I guess without any further ado,
0: "Thunder on the Mountain."
1: Thunder on the Mountain. Great title for song.
0: Mm-hmm. You guys like Alicia Keys?
2: <laughs> I do. I do like Alicia Keys. <laughs>
0: Well, um, so, so, uh, you're in good company because Bob Dylan makes it known, uh, that he, uh, he likes Alicia Keys. Uh, Well, he
1: knows who Alicia Keys is. Well, that's
0: for sure. But he says he's searching for her. Right. Looking for her, clear down to Tennessee. Is that right? I believe so. Like, just like trying to remember that lyric. It's pretty funny to like say it and then have that be right. Apparently. I'm looking for a clear down to Tennessee. I was, uh, yeah, born in. She was born in Hell's Kitchen. I was living down the line. Living
1: down the line.
0: Um, wondering where Alicia Keys could be. It's
1: a great question. It's a yeah. question on all of our minds from time to time.
0: But what it is 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 a it's a modern flourish. That's that's for sure. On a record <laughs> that really like, despite my hyping it up, is not that full of modern. Um, explicitly modern touches that it gets right out the gate with one of a modern singer songwriter, Alicia Keys. She's mentioned.
2: I remember reading something uh, around that time that she was like, she said she was like honored to, to be mentioned or to, to be on his mind or something, which I thought was cool. You know, like a lot of people would I feel like nowadays, especially if that song, something like that came out. So people would immediately jump to like, this is creepy and weird. And like, (laughs) and like, there's some kind of like nefarious, like undertones to it, but I don't know. I thought that was cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, He's grooming her by um, mentioning that he's, she was born, you know, while he was living, he was living
1: nearby. Yeah. It's kind of sus, huh? (laughs) <laughs> well, it isn't exactly clear what, exi- like, what Alicia Keys has to do with anything. He's not he's he commenting on... I, I was thinking on, about
0: Alicia Keys couldn't yeah. keep from he's crying. He was just thinking about her, yeah.
1: He was crying. Uh, couldn't keep, yeah, I guess he couldn't keep from crying, but is he crying because she makes him sad? Is he crying because he likes her so much? He's, yeah, it's he's a little, crying because
0: she's too young. A little nebulous. Too young. For
1: too young. She
2: was. My take <laughs> was that he was, he was crying because, maybe because, uh, he um maybe he he saw her or heard her music and was like uh it, or like I don't know it maybe it it uh made him realize how old he was
0: mm. you know yeah, maybe it's
2: one of those things like that that's sort of been happening to me lately where I mean not that I'm that old but like just like the passing of time that I'm getting older, you know, right. certain things will like when I hear of a kid, someone that that was born in like 2005 or something. And there is right, SoundCloud
0: they're, rapper and yeah, they're a millionaire. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And I was, uh, yeah. I'm like, shit, when I, in 2005, when you were born, I was living down the line in, and yeah. in Ohio.
1: Yeah. I see that. I've been uh, teaching uh, in grad school and a lot of the kids that I teach undergrads and stuff were all born after 9-11, which seems like such a, like a, like a, just, just like a, like a fault line, you well, know, yeah. in my history, at least, uh, these kids weren't even alive for it. Huh. Well, we all get older. Yeah. Uh,
0: anything else you want to say about Thunder on the Mountain? I mean, it's a rousing intro song. <laughs> like i i think it, it it has this feeling like when it when it jumps out of the gate that's kind of like maybe it was something that put me off of the album for a long time it's really not one that i like have listened to until pretty recently like with mm. any serious dedication and it's maybe you know it's just like you start it and you hear that like blues guitar come in and kind of shredding Doing whatever the blues version of shredding is, and (laughs) I just kind of was like, I don't know, I don't know about this. Like, this sounds like I'm about to be like subject to, I don't know, like something at the Canyon Club. Like, I'm just gonna see like (laughs) like some sixty year old guy, like with like a big receding hairline. Like, it just had bad associations. I know what you mean. Uh, I know.
1: I think what Tim said last time on, on Love and Theft, you know, kind of applies to this as well. Like the, the Starbucks CD blues kind yeah, of thing yeah, that yeah, was exactly. going on at this time. Like, yeah, if you're not a, uh, if you're just listening to the song on its own and you don't have, you know, kind of an understanding of, of, uh, where Bob was coming from and where he was going at this point like we do now, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you might associate it with something like that. So it does seem, you know, kind of off-putting I think, or it can seem off-putting certainly coming from, um, you know, uh, expecting whatever. And, uh, and the reason like why Stone I mean, or blood on the tracks,
0: the, the specific reason why I think it's off-putting, um, or why the blues is like off-putting, you know, why don't I want to listen to just like, your average like Joe Bonamassa adjacent type of blues guitar guy. It's cuz it's it it doesn't have much more to it besides just that pure thing, which you know, there's a there's a time and place for, but what makes this song good and what makes this whole record I think interesting is that he'll take Bob will take these sort of boilerplate um versions of, you know, bo- boilerplate blues kind of rearrange it a little bit, but mainly it's like the attitude with which he comes at the music with. is uh, that's what makes it more interesting. Like the fact that he's throwing all these curve balls in there and he's kind of using this like familiar type of music, um, as just the, that's just like the bottom layer. And then he gets creative with the condiments on top when it comes to. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean, well, uh, Ian, you you mentioned Starbucks earlier, which I I actually heard this album. I don't know if it was the first time I heard it, but it was. I heard this album in Starbucks. It was one of those the that ones makes sense. That it was that it was sold at Starbucks.
1: I'm pretty right. sure it was one at of the those. register next to the gum and yeah.
2: Right. Uh, but yeah, as far as like the blues stuff, it's like I mean, I generally speak. can't really listen to any kind of like blues pure quote unquote blues played by like white guys. Right. Um, I can you know, I, I love like early, like real blues, like John Lee Hooker and stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, a lot of this stuff, I just feels very like empty and like, I don't know, plasticky kind of, uh, to me, but like, um, yeah. The way that he comes at it on this, Bob comes out on this record, I feel like is uh, more, yeah, it's more like, like what Evan was saying, like, it's just like an attitude sort of thing. And, and it's, he's sort of like calling back to like some of those early like R and B records that are like, they're just kind of like, there's a lot of them that are like nonsensical kind of things that are like Peanut butter and jelly or right, you know, yeah. and like uh you know he he rhymes like sons of bitches and orphanages. Orphanages.
0: <laughs> it took me a while to even hear the that he was saying orphanages because like I've never heard anyone say orphanages.
2: Yeah. And then <laughs> Yeah. And then he says he sucked the milk out of a thousand
0: cats. <laughs> yeah. It's right. such a great line. Yeah, there's like a plethora of just like great lines in this and back to the, the Starbucks thing. It's like just another like association with this record is that uh, there was an iPod ad for Bob mm, with featuring mm-hmm, him mm-hmm. for this, like, which is that classic sort of iPod ad style of like Bob, like a white background, but Bob looks like very, on a it's barely, blank background. A, yeah, he's mostly in silhouette. You can barely see like his features. And then it just says, you know, Bob Dylan, modern times, very indicative of an era uh, where you would walk into a Starbucks and perhaps hear this. Right. Which is kind of a quaint thing to even think about now.
1: Yeah, just yeah. the concept of Starbucks selling physical like media on a CD is just like completely unimaginable at this point.
2: Yeah, I mean, that, yeah, that memory of hearing this in a Starbucks was a fond one. I, I <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah,
2: I man. don't look at it back on it with scorn or anything.
0: If only they were playing music like this in public places like Starbucks <laughs> yeah. now, and uh, especially true of the next song, which is just like. Just so pleasant. Such Mm. pleasant music. A perfect, just a
1: perfect little morsel.
0: Spirit on the water. And it's like not even a morsel. This is like a seven minute 30. This is like seven. Geez, yeah, it is like eight minutes long. It doesn't feel that long.
1: Yeah, I've never realized that.
0: But it's a pretty like hefty song. And it just, uh, it's a testament to how like utterly pleasant it is that it just, you can just have it on. You don't even, you're not thinking about when will this be over
1: yeah
2: yeah it's a it's a great one i the second time that i saw bob dylan um the second and last i had this was the so that was the last time i saw him which was in 2015 i think Mm -hmm. um in chicago at the cadillac theater and he played when he played this song it was like magical it was a it was so good. He I'm was, sure. he had like a, he was at like a grand piano, like playing piano. So good. He was and at that point into like starting to get into all the Sinatra covers. Yeah. Right. So I, I think kind of I saw like him playing it in that style. It was really good.
0: That's terrific. I mean, the, I think I saw him either that year or the year after. And it, that was full bore the Sinatra covers type era, um, which is like something I love. I, and I love all that. And it seems to me that like this this record has this attempt, and then uh beyond the horizon, like two songs where Dylan is trying basically as hard as he can to write um somewhere beyond the sea, right, right, but he doesn't really do it. he just does like as close as he can get twice,
1: yeah, you can clearly see the DNA of all those records in modern times at this point. I mean, you could see it in love and theft to uh, to be honest um, already, but it's really starting to come to the forefront in modern times. Um, I think that's part of what uh, makes this album so rewarding, particularly under these circumstances also, where we've literally just been listening to fucking everything that he's released ever for the last year. Um, it, it, It strikes me as like, by this point in time, in 2006, like, he, he really started to get into making band records. Like, he hadn't made uh, band records, like, for his entire career, basically, or, or certainly after, you know, the, the early uh, days when he would get the band, the, the actual band together. Um, you know, he would bring in all sorts of different players and go in different directions and different producers and, and different engineers and shit every time. Um, but I think starting with Eleven Theft, and certainly in modern times, I've, like, part of what he's doing here is something that he hadn't been doing all throughout his career up until this point, um, which maybe makes up for the fact that some of the musical styles are a little more like derivative or or basic or something, you know, in the kind of bluegrass or um, mm-hmm. bluesy sound, uh, because he's he's having such a good time or such a rewarding experience playing with his band. It's the same guys, uh, you know, it's a never-ending tour band in the studio with him every time. And so like, mm-hmm. you know, they're Bob Dylan records. It's just Bob Dylan, but this is, like these are the first couple records that are really made as a cohesive unit, I think, um, with all sorts of different players that he's super familiar with, um, and they can just lay them down, you know, kind of uh, in in their sleep with their eyes closed. Yeah, it um, feels
0: like a a true sequel to um, to Love and Theft, right? Where it that everything that worked on that album is kind of expanded upon or given a little bit more free reign. Uh, it, the songs tend to be a little bit more um, they just have a little bit more of a sense of freedom to them than on that record. Um, as good as it is, it's totally, I think reflective of like the level of comfort with the group.
1: Right. Yeah. The, um, I mean the music in general on, on modern times compared to love and theft, like this is all very clearly of a, of a palette sort of thing where he's jumping back and forth in a bunch of different styles on love and theft. Like this is all the same kind of, you know, the same shades of whatever color you want to call it. Um, You know, it's, it's, it's very much like a cohesive, like nicely, neatly packaged um, uh, little, little record or not so little uh, 10 songs, but it's over an hour long. Anyway, spirit on the water, it fantastic love song. You know, he's, uh, he's really written some of his most affecting love songs. I think, ever in the last 15, 20 years at this point. This one, another one we'll get to in just a few minutes. Um, obviously, um, uh, I've made up my mind, uh, or I've made up my mind to give myself to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's, he's, it, something about him getting older, he's, he's really kind of like, beca- obviously, you know, speaking as a wiser, more wizened presence, but also able to just relate all of these deep, complex feelings and thoughts in, in the same kind of simple language that he was employing on, um, on Nashville, for instance, but in a really kind of like baroque and ornate way. It's just, it's really impressive. But it's also um,
0: just like so innocent and cute. Like the final line, uh, final lines, you think I'm over the hill, you think I'm past my prime. Mm-hmm. Let me see what you got. We can have a whopping good time.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's
0: great great <laughs> um the next tune is called rolling, rolling and Tumblin. and uh this is this is another this the whole record seems to go back and forth between you know songs where bob is having a great time with a woman and and songs where he is having um a bad time with a woman the two <laughs> Types of songs, you know, that they that exist.
1: Yeah, he's going back and forth. Uh, he's he's rocking on the odd songs, and then he's vibing on the even songs.
0: Yeah, and he's rolling and he's tumbling on this song.
1: And We're back to the odds. Yeah, yeah. Really, kind of the biggest rave up on the record. Um, you know, it's uh, it's it's the most root and tootin' track I think uh, that's going on here. Um, and so, even though it is more of a upbeat music track he's uh he's still not having a great time with the there woman one he says on this he's one. crying is, uh, yeah he's having a hard time clearly
2: yeah this one's like in the style I feel like it's kind of like a takeoff on uh like a John Lee Hooker style right blues
0: is there not a uh there's a Muddy Waters song called Rolling and Tumblin I believe is there And yeah, yeah, it's like a lot of blues people have done a rolling and tumbling. It's all over the place. This rolling and tumbling. Everybody's doing it. Rolling and tumbling. Eric Clapton. Rolling and tumbling. Cream. Rolling and tumbling. Jeff Beck. Rolling and tumbling. Canned Heat. And rolling and tumbling. Muddy Waters.
1: Oh yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I see. I see this now. Uh, uh, rolling and tumbling, or rolling tumble blues, blues standard first recorded by American singer guitarist Hambone Willie Newburn. That's a great name, Hambone Willie Newburn. So, uh, in nineteen twenty nine,
0: uh, this is a cover, but I, I assume Bob is thrown in some original lyrics
1: in and well him. you better believe that the song is credited as written by Bob Dylan right. on, on bobdylan.com Of course
0: <laughs> Bob's favorite thing to do is to um, find a, a song that is older than him and say
1: that I I invented this written written by me yeah, the, the I guess that's just a good note to to touch on since uh, since we've brought it up here. Uh, the this as 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 we've seen with many Bob records, certainly in his later days, uh, and the you know credits uh, and and their lack of um, forthrightness, I guess we could say uh, this this record was was no different, and in fact seemed to be even more uh, of a uh, seemed to have even more trouble than many others. Um, uh, particularly back to, or all the way back to Ovid, uh, the first century Roman poet Ovid, uh, some people tried to get mad at Bob for stealing several lines from him. Uh, and instead of, you know, uh, crediting him, just passing them off as his own. Ovid. Yes. Great writer. Uh, great songwriter. Great musician. <laughs> Yeah, we lo- we love ovin here. Uh but yeah, rolling and tumblin uh when the deal goes down, Someday baby beyond the horizon and levy's going to break all have some sort of uh controversial um uh, beginnings somewhere. Um and uh you know, wouldn't you know it they are all written by Bob Dylan, uh, at least according to the credits on the uh on the records. Well
0: that the- that's enough for me just to read that. <laughs> <That's-> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, maybe this
2: is just me Wanting to give uh, Bob Dylan the benefit of the adu- of the doubt um, all the time, but <laughs> what, even when he is like just directly uh, saying like an exact line of something, it's like to me it feels more like a quotation when right. he's yeah, doing it. Yeah, you know, I mean, true, he's not. He doesn't provide like a bibliography at the end or anything, but. I don't know if you I guess if you know the history of Bob Dylan's uh work and coming out of like the folk music tradition where everything's kind of just like belongs to everyone uh to a
1: certain extent um yeah we've we've had that same kind of conversation several we've
0: beat it to a bloody pulp at this point how many times we've discussed that on the show but um (laughs) But yeah, you're, just you're, it doesn't make it wrong. And also, to your point, it's like I don't know. You look around at the musical landscape today and the cultural landscape, and I genuinely, the way that I view any controversy like that, when it, yeah, you get, like Bob Dylan, generating like, copies of
2: things, and that.
0: that's just how things work. But like, you've got a guy who's like copying like the original stuff. Like that's a that's something to celebrate.
2: Yeah. I mean, if you're if really, if you're saying a line from Ovid, <laughs> like you're not copying that you're like, you're just saying a line from Ovid. It's yeah, like, exactly. I mean,
1: the concept of intellectual property it, it has only existed for the last like century and a half or something, you know, o, o, Ovid, uh, and, uh, and uh, those in his, in his wake, uh, you know, this, this kind of shit didn't even apply. Like it, it couldn't even occur to them that this would be something that you would be concerned about in the future. Um, which I think is really at the root of a lot of this kind of shit that the incompatibility of former approaches to songwriting, particularly with folk and blues music, um, which is iterated upon and handed down so often and just kind of changed and mutates, um, uh, each time an individual picks up the song, learns it and sings it and someone else hears it and then they pick it up, you know, um, it just doesn't, it doesn't work the way that that way today anymore. Right. Um, and so, so when, when you have someone who's in that mindset of today's intellectual property regime approaching something like this, then there's obviously going to be some conflict. Um, it's
0: just a mind disease too, to even look at anything artistic really like from the perspective of, you know, unconsciously or not, like trying to find out if it was stolen from somewhere it just sets you up to not look at it for what it is to not absorb what's there to not even like get the emotional, uh, effect from it. Um, the movie The The Beach Bum, the Harmony Corinne movie. Mm. It yeah. um, I, I found that really moving, that movie in like some really weird ways. But one of them one of the things I loved about it is that the main character says a Brodigan poem. Poems. Yeah, it's just a Richard Brodigan poem that he says yeah. and at no point is the movie acknowledged that it's like just stolen and copied. Yeah. <laughs> but and so like so many people probably saw it and just thought like you know well nobody not so many people saw it cuz like nobody saw that movie but uh
2: i thought that was a great movie
0: i loved it too and i'm really happy i was one of the seven people who saw it in theaters and mm-hmm. um and that you were too it's a uh, it's just i thought it was kind of a really sweet and beautiful um repudiation of that way of viewing art is that like this poem is just plagiarized in the script and it doesn't, it doesn't affect anything that it's plagiarized. People just enjoy it in the movie. Right. And uh, if you can view art that way without just like having anything in the way of like trying to dissect it and pick it apart, then, you know, that then you're getting like what, what's there to be offered. And that's so true of the next song here, which like, you could sit down and, and read and into and decide it's not like very original, but like it's, you'd be missing out on one of the like best love songs for my money.
2: Yeah. It's a, uh, when the deal goes down. Yes, yeah. It's a great one. Yeah. yeah my, try. really my favorites off of this album are kind of the ballads that are sort of in that like great American songbook style. Right. Uh, I just think they're so great. It's kind of like a I don't know. Like even even though the production of this album generally is a little on the on the like sort of slick and like borderline kind of cheesy side, like songs like this have like a totally timeless feel to me. Mhm.
0: Yeah. We, I mean, we talked a lot about that on the love and theft episode about that kind of standard approach to recording that, um, that Jack Frost sound uh, you could say. Yes. Um, and it, the, how it, it's not, it's not like full of vibes that are layered on top of it. It's kind of clean. Then when songs are, just naturally have like an atmosphere that really sings um which is like something that you see especially on like rough and rowdy ways like it's, it's deceptively pretty straightforwardly recorded for it just feels so um rich and and emotive and this song um is is no exception it's also like Yeah, I mean one of those
2: yeah, like, um, I don't know. This song kind of, I mean, its it gives me the feeling of, I feel like it lives in the same universe as like, uh, like Louis Armstrong's What a Wonderful World, almost. Uh, it's yeah. like, even the fact that like, you know, at this point he's like old in his voice like almost resembles Louis Armstrong's. But like the vibe of this song is kind of, just that like very pure, like, just like, I don't know, a picture just like sun and clouds in the sky or something. I don't know. It's really good. Yeah, it's,
0: it's very patient. It feels like so unhurried and just like a song that, I I mean, the lyrics like in this earthly domain full of disappointment and pain. So there's all these lyrics that are just like so cathartic and um, comforting to listen to.
1: Yeah. It's uh, it's, it's kind of effortless, I think in terms of the way that it's like, it sounds like a song that wasn't even written necessarily. It just kind of like came into being, was conjured out of nothingness because it's so like immaculate and just kind of perfect. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this, this is one that was apparently, uh, Bob stole the melody from a Bing Crosby song.
0: Well, that's like perfect,
1: um, you know? Right. Right. Uh, which he admitted himself also, he, before the, uh, before the record even came out, he said, yeah, I was working on a song. You know, I've, I've been working on a song basically based on the melody of a Bing Crosby song. And you know, this is the song that came out and you can kind of see.
2: Do we know what the, song? What was, the, yeah. Yeah, what
1: was the Bing Crosby song? Uh, Where the blue of the night Meets the gold of the day A ah. signature song for Bing Crosby
3: Where the blue Of the night Meets the gold Of the day Someone Waits for Me And the gold Of her hair Browns the blue of her eyes, like a halo tenderly
0: yeah um i i just think the also the the main line and the title when the deal goes you know, i'll be with you when the deal goes down is like like it's it it can it really gets me like yeah it's like such a um quiet little way of expressing, like, the deepest commitment. It's so, um, he's done it again.
1: (laughs) He sure has. Bob Dylan, good lyricist, who knew?
0: Pretty good, Uh, yeah.
1: There's also a a, a fun little music video for for this one, uh, directed by Bennett Miller, director of Capote and Moneyball. It's perfect uh,
0: for 2006. The director yes. of Capote doing the video for this. Yes. With and it's Scarlett
1: basically, Johansson. it's basically, yeah, oh, exactly. You know, a, I have yeah, seen it. It's that. like an okay. eight millimeter video just of Scarlett Johansson, like on a boat and like, yeah. yeah. in a Park and stuff basically just kind of hanging out. Yeah. It's uh you know, it's cute, cute video, cute video, man. We
0: Maybe all not. wear that same thorny crown.
1: I love that line. That whole, that whole soul to stanza soul, Our shadows roll And I'll
0: be with you When the deal Goes down It's a great song go. Someday baby Someday baby You won't have to worry For me no more That's true th- This is not like that other song Bob doesn't care what you do he doesn't care what you say. I don't care what you, where you go or how long you say. <laughs> He's just throwing everything out the window on this one. It's hard to talk about this one. It's just kind of like blues, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, we're back to the vibing attitude uh, away from the, the... or Excuse me, we're back to... Well, I guess... Technically, this would be back to the rocking. Attitude, yeah, he says but,
0: you fill me up with nothing but self doubt. Yeah, this is him having the, like those lady off. troubles again.
1: Um, yeah, it seems like uh, that Bob has similar thoughts and feelings on on this one uh, because he's played it live uh, zero times. Really? Um, never. Yeah, uh, never. Which I think is the only one, at least of all the songs we've talked about so far that he has not played live. A lot of these have gotten very heavy workout uh, live When
0: was the last time he played um, the last track? When he he played, deal goes down. Deal goes down. Yeah.
1: Uh, Let's see, 2013. Oh, so it's been a minute. Been a while. Yeah, 148 plays though. So he, you know, he was very into it between 2006 and 2013, and then I guess just kind of let it sit. Thunder on the mountain for what it's worth, 739. Wow it's a lot of, a lot of thunder on the mountain.
0: Alicia keys. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, this is, this is the perfect example. I think of a song that is like a band song, like the lyric is almost inconsequential. Uh, it sounds to me like they just kind of had a good groove with this blues riff and they were all kind of jamming on it in the studio and had a good time. And Bob just kind of, grafted these lyrics to whatever was, was happening here. He might as well be, uh, singing about the million dollar bash, uh, or whatever. Um, it, uh, it's just kind of a, you know, kind of snap your fingers and don't pay too much attention to what's going on for my money at least. Yeah. It's a good groove. It's a good groove. You know, which if, if, if that's what you say about the kind of weakest songs on the record, it's a good groove. You know, that's, that's a pretty good record that you're, that you're putting out.
2: I mean, he. This one's like. Uh, I think it's cool because it's kind of in the middle. It's not quite like a, like a, a romping. What an upsetter, like what they used to call them.
0: Uh, <laughs> it's not going to upset your apple cart. This it's song. Not, uh,
2: like a. It's not that rowdy, but it's it's also like I don't know. It's just kind of like. Uh,
0: well, this is getting to a point actually that something I was talking about with Ian. Was that this record is cool? That's an idea that we were talking about is that this is the coolest album that mm, Bob Dylan yes. has put out in the twenty first century. Not necessarily better than any of the other ones, but I think what you're getting at is that this is it's just cool. Like there are there's room on this album for just Bob kind of just being luxuriating in, in his just aura of, of coolness. Yeah. And very you totally hear that on this. He's just like, it's not a very high stakes song. It's not like that high key. It's just like it's just there's no other word for it. It's just cool guy music.
1: Yeah, he feels totally in control of everything that's going on at this point. Uh, and you know, especially if you think back to the last couple of records following from this, which it's been a decade from Time Out of Mind at this point, which is hard to or you know, sort of funny to think about. But from there to Love and Theft to this, like you know, it's it's sort of a journey of the sound and vibe of the record on Time Out of Mind is completely out of his control, and he's obviously very frustrated about that, judging by his comments afterwards. And then Love and Theft, he starts to assert more control. First kind of band record, but he's still hopping around in all these different styles and um, um, you know, kind of sounds and just uh, directions, basically, uh, you know, all over the place. And then. And then here he's finally kind of like, he's, he's totally in control. Like he was in love of theft, but he knows the one direction he wants to go. Like he's, he's a hundred percent kind of headed, um, in the, in the one way that he envisions it in his mind or whatever. And I think basically every record that's come since then has been the same kind of thing where it's all just kind of, you know, it's all perfectly kind of sewn together sound and vibe wise, whether it's one of the original records or the cover records, obviously he's, he's really kind of, uh, come into his own as a record producer these last 15 years. No, you mean Jack Frost has, excuse me. Yes. Uh, Jack Frost has come into his own. Um, Bob Dylan has a
0: close personal relationship with Mr. Frost with Jack Frost, (laughs) Yes, but um, they're not actually, of course they're different people.
1: Yes, they are different people. Do you have Do you have any musical alter egos like that, Max?
0: Um,
2: like Jack Frost. Yeah. Um, maybe I do, but I they don't have names.
1: No. <laughs> it's funny that he came up with Jack Frost for some reason.
0: I bet it could have been a lot of other things too. There's a right. lot of other names that could have been.
1: Like-
2: well, he was. <laughs> And I forget what movie it was. Uh, there's a movie that he stars in where his character's name is Jack. Jack, Jack
1: Fate, Fate. Yeah, Maxed and Anonymous, 2003's finest. Yeah, yeah. Have you uh, ha- have you seen that before?
2: Um, I've seen pieces of it. I haven't. I haven't watched the whole thing. I need to.
1: Yeah, I, we I heard
2: it's good. It is. We talked good, about yeah. it
1: recently. It's a it's a um, forgotten masterpiece. Um, a, a real kind of. Real diamond in the rough. Highly recommend.
0: It. There, there is the other Bob Dylan alter ego, Elston Gun.
1: Yes. All right.
0: Um, I don't really. This is something that, like, online Bob fans like can't get enough of. They all have like an Elston Gun username. It's it's not something I know that much about, or you know. It, the, I yeah, don't, I don't
2: know much about it either aside from seeing it online
0: and stuff. Yeah. Having an Elston gun name is like, is like having the, the actual like triumph motorcycles t-shirt. It's like, yeah. (laughs) All right. I see. I see, you know, but you know, that's how we keep track of each other. um, Yes. In this, in the tribe.
1: The tri- <laughs> the chosen people we wandered uh, in the desert for forty years all all us Bobcats, yeah, is that what they call it? Bobcats that's what they call themselves, yeah, the Bobcats that's so
2: I've never heard that
1: yeah it it's it's the Bobcats I think are the like expecting dot com people like the people who were really into this shit twenty five years ago who are now you know fifty five years old or or whatever, and like you know kind of have meetups and conventions and stuff.
0: Well uh, if you want to hear the more of what we have to say about this album modern times you'll just have to tune in next week. We're not Bobcats but we are Joker met. <laughs>
3: I'm traveling by land, traveling through the dawn of the day, you're always on my mind. be my friend When you're near It's just as plain as it can be I'm wild about you gal. You want to be a fool about me Can't explain The sources of this hidden pain. You put your way